What's happening, everybody? Welcome to my podcast, Crazy Happy, with me, Daniel Fusco. I am super stoked, excited that we get to be together. We call it Crazy Happy because all the time people say, hey, doesn't God want me to be happy? I always say, absolutely, God does want you to be happy. But God's plan for happiness is almost never found in the places that we think it's going to be found. So we, if we don't follow God's plan, we end up trying all these things. We find ourselves unhappy, but then we line up with what God is doing. Before we know it, we're finding happiness in these beautiful, unexpected, and crazy places. Thank you for enjoying the podcast. Thank you for um, subscribing to it, for, for uh, you know uh, rating it, especially if you leave a crazy happy good rating. We super appreciate that. Letting people know about it. As always, I am being joined by my buddy, the investigative journalist, the author extraordinaire, the all-around provocateur, Billy Hallowell. Billy, what's the good word, buddy? I feel like every episode, the description gets better, actually. Like, it gets better with age. You add new things to it. So I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. It's good to see you, as always. And listen, uh, as we keep going, man, it's like, before you know it, it's like, you're going to be like Muhammad Ali. The I know. Day. I'm like, like, on like, my way there. I'm on my way there. <laughs> you'll have a business card with Daniel Fusco says, I'm all of these different things, and it's going to be great. So listen. Just little bullet points all the way so down. It's so funny. Like, smaller and smaller font as we go with the <laughs> More things that go on there. But listen, we're excited today because we are being joined of both Billy, a good friend of ours, somebody who we love and who we respect, somebody who we see God using in such extraordinary ways. He's a pastor, he's an author, TV, radio. He is jet setting around the nation and the world, sharing hope with people, our good friend, Ben Corson. Ben, how you doing, buddy? I'm so glad. These are my guys right here. These are my boys. And you know what's cool is it just hit me while you were doing this great intro. By the way, you're a great hype man, Fusco. I love you. He but, is, right? So, so flirting with darkness is about building hope in the face of depression. Your book's crazy happy. And then Billy's book is about spiritual phenomena and like paranormal activity. And, and I talk about like, I've been talking a lot about, I believe like transrational psycho spiritual forces plan or neurobiochemistry and really combining brain science with spirituality. So we're all kind of doing the same thing from slightly different angles right now. And I love you both. You both are Titans and I'm stoked we get to do this. Man, we are super stoked to have you on the program. And, you know, Ben has a brand new book. I just said it, you know, called Flirty with Darkness. Uh, both Billy and I got a chance to get advanced copies of it, endorse the book, love the book. Before we even get going, listen, go out and get the book. Wherever you like to buy books, you can download it on Kindle, all the different stuff. We, the book is everywhere. But Ben, to, 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 to get going on talking about this, obviously, you know, Flirty with Darkness, it, it's a book about, you know, struggles with mental health and depression. And and knowing you as I do, as Billy does, we, we realize that there's a whole background of, of unique, um, you know, uh, times of, of pain and suffering, issues that you have experienced both when you were a young man and, and, and as you've gotten older. Can you share a little bit about, about your journey? I mean, most people see you, they follow you on the socials and all this, you know, just full of joy, full of, you know, energy for Jesus. But obviously, you know, to get there, you've gone through all sorts of really crazy experiences, right? Yeah. So I got diagnosed actually with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which I didn't know what it was until I got diagnosed with it. I'd heard of PTSD, but complex PTSD is actually very similar to, even from a psychiatric perspective, the story of Job. Now, I'm not saying I went through anything close to what Job went through, but Job didn't just go through one thing. Remember how the messengers came to him and said, the Sabian Raiders stole your your, your cattle or your possessions. And then the Chalde another group of messengers said that Chaldees have 
has, uh, you know, stolen your camels. And then another messenger's come and says, your children died in a whirlwind. And then he loses his health and he's scraping boils off his skin with a piece of pottery. And he's having marital difficulties when his wife is actually encouraging him to practice euthanasia. Like she's giving him like a mercy killing, cur- curse God and die. So that that's not just one trauma. It's complex PTSD because it's a whole wave of traumas. And that's sort of what I went through. It was a wave of a lot of traumas that I didn't quite know how to process or assimilate. So it began, Daniel, when, and Billy, when I was uh, a kid, I remember my sister Jessica was joking at the dinner table with my dad when she said, I'm never going to be able to marry anyone. And my dad said, why not? And she said, because you always tell me to date somebody godlier than me and I'm the godliest person I know. So like, how am I going to get married. And she was obviously saying that tongue in cheek, you know, amazing sense of humor. The next day she died in a car accident and my brother came home and uh, revealed the news to my family by saying, my sister, Jessica, Jessica has found her man. The bride of Christ has finally found somebody godlier than her. Mm. And she's now the bride of Christ. Well, at her memorial service, there was this song that played called Take My Hand and Walk. It was a subculture song in the 90s by a band called The Cry, a Christian band. And that song always stuck with me. Whenever I would hear it, it reminded me of Jessica. So a year and a half ago, me and my dad were at the deathbed of my brother who delivered that news. She's found her man. And the song that just so happened to shuffle on the radio unplanned was the cry, Take My Hand and Walk, the same song that played at my sister's memorial service, the same song that represented that time when my brother said she's found her man. Now my brother is on his deathbed, and he passes away from colon cancer. And somebody messaged me and said, your brother graduated. And I just got this mental picture of with one hand, you know how the Bible says God will uphold us with his righteous right hand? With one hand, he's walking Jessica down the wedding aisle saying, you're the bride of Christ. You found your man. And with the other hand, he's walking my brother down the graduation aisle saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Come enter into the joy of the Lord. You've graduated. And so my brother and sister are now reunited in heaven. And and after going through that, on top of 10 years of clinical suicidal depression and an eight-year romantic heartbreak that really left me blindsided and, and like a robot with dead batteries, I couldn't feel anything after convulsing for months. I like, couldn't feel anything. And having the stalker that follows me around, I don't know if you guys have gone through it. That I'm sure you have your stories, but like just a couple of few weeks ago, I was doing a digital event in Florida and he was protesting so loud on the streets against me that he caused a car accident. So he used to follow my dad around when I was a kid as well. So now he's kind of locked onto me. And then our friend Jared, who's a pastor committing suicide and I was literally talking to his family the day it happened, having no idea that that's that he was not dark of a place at that moment. And um, so kind of going through a lot of that stuff, my counselor said, you have you have one of the most difficult cases of depression I've ever had to treat. And so that's what this book is birthed out of, to put it very simply, that if God could heal my broken heart and he has, he can heal anybody. You know, I love what you're saying, because. You know, like the Apostle Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter one, that we comfort others with the comfort that we've received, right. and and it, and it's one of the ways that we see how God, you know, takes our pain and and infuses it with purpose. 
you know, like, like God's got a plan in the midst of our pain. And so I just want to say like, you know, kind of having, you know, me and you have gotten to know each other more recently, but I remember yeah. like when I was, when I lived in, in uh, Southern Oregon, you know, I'd go out to Applegate and, you know, I got to know your brother really well and, you know, and, and know your dad and, you know, and you were just a, like, I mean, this was back in 2000, this was like, you were just a young guy, yeah. but then as watching you, you come on up and, and watching how God is using you now, it's always so impressive to me that you're, you know, to use the words of Henri Nguyen, you figured out a way to kind of almost befriend your brokenness, to, 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 to it, see it integrated into your life in such a way that now you can use it as kind of shoulders on which to stand on to be able to, to bring comfort to so many other people who have gone through, you know, simple, you know, hard things, uh, hurts, traumas, but you have all these, a whole series of them. Uh, you know, with the clinical depression, all this, and now you're able to use that to springboard uh, the message of Jesus and the message of hope. Now, was that like a hard transition for you? I mean, like, like talk a little bit about that kind of the liminal space between like, I'm just going through all this stuff and I'm heartbroken and everything's jacked up. And now God is saying, okay, listen, now, you know, I've touched you and now I want to use this pain to be able to, uh, to bless other people. Yeah, well, I love that liminal space photography rhetoric and syntax you're employing in Deploying because there is a stark juxtaposition between these two seasons of my life where when I was in high school, it's funny because I'm doing this from Orange County about five minutes from where I went to where I went to high school. I live in Oregon now. But um, so I remember being here and I was so happy. Like in high school, I was crazy happy. That's actually a really good book title. I, I've got <laughs> to store that one away. But I was just crazy happy. And then um, at about 18, when I went into the ministry, I, that's when my clinical depression began and suicide ideation. I, mean, I literally was flirting with suicide several times, not just once, but several times. And um, what, what happened, though, is I, my brother used to say, your scars become your stars. And I began to realize that the very things that are the most painful in my life are the situations that God somehow turns into pain fuel. And it like drives me. It drives me forward to give hope to our generation because I know what it's like to feel broken. So I can befriend that brokenness because once out of every 40 seconds around the world, someone commits suicide. There's 123 suicides a day. Suicide was the second leading cause of death in my age group in 2017. And there are twice as many suicides as murders. So it's not just like me. It's our whole generation is going through this clinical depression and nearly half of people uh, report, you know, being harmed in their mental health since the coronavirus hit. So 30% of people, you know, millennials essentially said that they had thought about suicide in the last 30 days. There was a survey back in June that the CDC did. I mean, it was, it was a number that you saw and you're like, that can't be true. But but it is. Can yeah. I ask a question just about what you just said? What for you, and this might sound like a strange, strange question, but I think you'll understand. What stopped you? You know, you said multiple times you considered suicide. Was it that prevented you from carrying that out? So this is going to sound like overly tweetable, and I don't mean it to sound that way, but this is real. This is real to me. Like it might just sound like a fluffy quote, but to me, this is real. We have nightmares and we have dreams but we conquer our nightmares because of our dreams. So you know how like Joseph was able to deal with Pharaoh's nightmares because he could interpret the dreams of the baker and the butler. He could interpret Pharaoh's dreams because he himself was a, a visioneer and a dream caster. Like ever since he was 17 years old, he had this ability to dream things and not, not like, and not just dream it in, you know, terms of grain, 
his brother's sheaves of grain bowing down to his sheaf of grain, but then taking the grain out of the dreams and setting up a seven-year strategic grain distribution program to prepare for the seven years of famine, you know? So like we were talking about before, like preparing for the worst, like he was, he was very strategic. He was a strange mixture of the dreaming, the practical, never more practical than immediately after he'd been dreaming. For me, I just had these dreams like that God was going to use me. And that's what kept me going. Like I, I, I had these horrible nightmares, but I just had these dreams that God was going to do something with my life. And I'm so glad I didn't commit suicide because now I know exactly what my message is. It's a message of hope for this generation. It's that simple. It's simplicity after complexity. And I'll tell you what, I'm a huge believer in the, the back to the liminal space thing as well. And to answer what you're saying, Billy, like what caused me to not commit suicide is something called John Hicks. Uh, he's a theologian. His Iranian, uh, from the old theologian Arrhenius, it's called the soul-making theodicy and the veil of tears, the veil of soul-making. What that means is, is that he believed that suffering, the reason why good th- bad things happen to good people in the world, is because in order for us to get into our destiny of living the likeness of God, Genesis 1, we have to get to, get to the full stature of Christ, as Paul talked about in Ephesians, and to get to that place of maturation suffering is inevitable that's the only way to get there so one of my best friends i'm doing seal training with him tomorrow he's a navy seal what team one and seven chad williams he he has this quote forged by adversity that the seals live by the only easy day was yesterday and i really believe that that when we go through adversity it forges our soul into steel and it tempers our spirit into iron and the only way to live is the likeness of god and to reach the full stature of christ is through suffering because Hebrews 2.10, this is huge when it comes to um, theodicy. Hebrews 2.10 says that Christ was made perfect through suffering. So Christ was made perfect through suffering. And what if that's true in our lives as well? Then that gives us a whole new way to reframe our pain and retrain our brain. That's powerful. So, so powerful. Now tell me this, because I think one of the big uh, misconceptions, because you know, there's a certain percentage of the population who suffers from mental health issues, uh, but then there's lots of people who don't. And so obviously people who don't suffer from mental health issues, they develop some sort of an idea of like, well, this is why this happens, or this is what this is. I mean, when I was in college, I was a psych major. So I actually, I graduated with a, with a psych major. Um, wow. And so I remember, I remember, you know, studying this and I was just, I've always been fascinated by people, but as someone who's gone through, you know, a long-term clinical mental health condition, depression, what would like, what do people who don't suffer from mental health, what do they need to know about people who do suffer from mental health that they might not know unless you told them right now? That's so important because people say like, why would you want to commit suicide? And I, I think I have actually a really clear answer to that. Neurologically in your brain, when you experience feelings of self-rejection or intense emotional hurt, your brain actually assimilates that as physical pain. So I try to explain it this way. Have you ever been in so much physical pain that you craved euthanasia? Like you were in so much physical pain that you just wanted to die. Like I remember I got a food toxin on a plane and I had to be carried away with an ambulance. And I was like on my hands and knees on the side of the road, like just throwing up violently. And I remember thinking like, I want to die like fully, like I'm ready to die. If this is I, I just, anything to put an end to the pain. So If you've ever been through enough physical pain that you're like, whoa, like I would rather die than continue to endure these scorpion stings of consciousness because of this physical agony, that's actually how the brain processes feelings of intense emotional hurt or self-rejection. So neurologically, that's what's happening in the brain. Two more things to that real quick is there's two misconceptions. One is that those who struggle with depression are weak. 
And I just want to say that's not the case. Like Buzz Aldrin, second man on the moon, five hour, 37 minute spacewalk. Leo Tolstoy, Anna Karenina, Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Michael Phelps, most decorated Olympic athlete of all time. They all struggled with intense depression. Elijah was suicidal when, you know, angry woman sent him running in a chariot. He's under a juniper broom tree. It says, God, take my life. Moses says, God, if you continue to treat me this way, take my life. Jonah asked God to kill him after a worm made his plant. David was borderline, if not bipolar, dancing in his limnephod before the ark. The next minute saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Paul said, we despaired even of life. Job said, I wish I was a stillborn. And Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. So these characters all went through these intense emotional experiences. So it's not always a sign of weakness. Sometimes it's a symptom of strength that you have a great creative fire. And sometimes you burn in your own creative fire and worries a misuse of the imagination. So if you're very creative and have a big imagination, that's the dark underbelly that can crush you. On the other hand, and this is the last thing I want to just say real quick about this, is there's the other there's the other side where now that we are removing the stigma and the taboo, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just a four on the Enneagram, so it's hipster to say I'm, um, I'm being my authentic self, so I'm just going to live with depression. You know, that's just who I am. And that's where I take a hard turn from a lot of hipster trendy stuff is like, I, I say, why would you live with this? The psalmist didn't say, why are you cast down on my soul? Keep up the good work. He said, why are you cast down on my soul? Put your hope in God. Don't stay cast down. I'm not going to go to the doctor and ask him to diagnose me and not accept the cure. So I really believe that depression can be beaten, but we have to fight. There's going to be blood in the battle, but we have to fight. And I believe it can be defeated. So I think those are some of the misconceptions that we have to lift from depression. One of the other big ones. And it's something that I grappled with looking at, you know, the demonic realm, looking at evil, looking at, you know, trying to, trying to find this balance of understanding where the spiritual and the physical and the mental and emotional all kind of collide. Um, what would you say to those? Cause there are people out there who every single thing that happens, they see it as spiritual and demonic, right? So any illness, even physical illnesses, not just emotional, right? Um, they would believe are caused by spiritual problems in a person's yeah. life. How would you describe that balance? Well, I think that more and more scientific research is now finding there's this strange amalgamation between neurobiology and spirituality. So we can now use magnetic resonance imaging and brain scans to CAT scan, CT scan people when they're meditating or praying. And what we found is that like when people are meditating on or praying to a loving God, they develop richer, thicker gray matter in their prefrontal cortex, which is where creative thinking, cognition, and planning are. You have more uh, blood flow to your interior cingulate cortex, which is where empathy and compassion are. You don't put someone on your hit list who you also put on your prayer list. And, and also, if you're meditating on an angry God, you'll have more blood flow to your amygdala, the rat brain where fear, anger, stress, high blood pressure are located. So brain scan, we're actually able to brain scan people. I've never personally brain scanned anybody, but this is what scientists can do. When, they're, when, the, when people are praying, you can actually see what's going on in their brain. So I think that divorcing these ideas of spirituality and brain science is a bad idea. I think we're integrated in holistic beings, which is why Paul said, you know, we should be renewed in the spirit of the mind, he said in Ephesians, or in another place, transformed by the renewing of the mind or taking the thoughts captive. And actually, Daniel Amen, a psychiatrist who did 83,000 brain scans over a 22-year career, more than anyone in history, found that the single most important discovery and find him his colleagues made is that the brain can change. And so this is what the Bible was saying all along, that you can, through neuroplasticity, take your thoughts captive. So I, again, as I said at the beginning, 
Philly, like I really think that there are psycho-spiritual transrational forces playing on the battlefield of the mind on our biochemistry and that the two are actually intricately interwoven in infinite complexity. You're listening to the Edify Podcast Network. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. This is the Edify Podcast Network. Welcome back. So one of the things I love that you said, and I think it's it's such a, a a unique hallmark of this day and age, this idea of being able to integrate what was seemingly disparate or uh, paradoxical ideas and putting them together, like you're talking about the marriage of you know uh, you know brain scanning and and science, scientific you know uh, you know uh, neuropsychology all spirituality. This idea that like there there was a time, and it, part of it is it's part of the you know, the, the mind of modernity, which says that every map exists in its own special place. And now we're at the point where we're like, no, no, we can actually, it's not science against religion. Now it's like, let's look at the science of religion, you know, and let's look at the religion of science, you know, and, and, and they're not, you know, I always tell people, because people say, well, you know, what do you think, you know, is, you know, do you believe in science or religion? I'm like, I actually believe in both. I believe that religion, you know, is, is God explaining to man who we are and science is, trying to figure out what did God create? Like, like how did God pull this thing off? You know, and in the same way, you're talking about this integration, like not only of your own pain and trauma into, I'm integrating this now into the message that I'm sharing, but now you're also saying, hey, listen, when we're looking at, you know, brain scans, now we can see the impact of something like when you're, when you're praying to a God who is loving and a, and a God who is kind, you know, that literally that your brain is changing there is uh, more stimulation in different parts of the brain, which also now I- impacts your re- reactions and your responses in the midst of all of it. That's so good. Like, I think that, you know, when you read a book and you're, it's like the, the editor, and this is where we all kind of, we all know what it's like working with editors and stuff with all of our book world. Like, you know, when you're reading a book and then the editor will make a footnote that has a more technical definition for those who wish to look, delve more deeply into it, but kind of interrupts the flow of what's going on. Science is like the footnote for God's act of creation. And that's why like the greatest minds like G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald, there is like, just enjoy creation. Let it happen to you. Like, don't always break it apart with microscopes and telescopes any more than a kid shouldn't break apart a toy to its elementary particles because, or, you know, properties, because then it doesn't work the same when you try to put it together. So too, like, just let the map, like I saw a river otter the other day. I'm like, this thing's magical. What in the world? I was jumping off a rock in the river and a river otter floats by. I'm like, it's a murdog that's just floating right by me. It's insane. <laughs> but but then for those who wish to like see the footnotes of, well, how did God do this? That's where science comes in. And by the way, Christianity invented science. Seven or 800 years ago, William of Ockham and Roger Bacon were two monks who invented the modern scientific method. So the fact that Christianity has now been painted against science is crazy because the origins of science actually are derived from Roger Bacon and uh, William of Ockham because they were Christian monks. So I think that's one thing. And then the second thing I'll say to that is like, look at even how Jesus operated. 
he was psychologically and psychiatrically ahead of its ahead of his time. So remember when Peter denied Jesus three times? It says he did it next to a charcoal fire. So what does Jesus do thereafter? He builds a charcoal fire and has Peter tell him three times that he loves him. So that way he's practicing the modern technique of the psychodrama, anticipating it 1,800 years or whatever in advance, knowing that if he could walk Peter through his topographical triggers, the number three, the charcoal fire, then he could actually retrain Peter to look at his trauma through a different lens and thereby redeem it. So I just even think if you really read the stories of what Jesus was doing, he was psychologically far ahead of his time. Well, yeah, if you take that to the next step also with all of Jesus's miracles, you know, the, the ability to be able to walk on water, you know what I mean? Obviously, water always has the same, you know, um, biological properties, but Jesus, in, you know, in his full humanity, but God in fleshment was able to, uh, to, wow. to be on top of the water without having to transform the water into ice or, or, or like, you know, wow. you see the, the pictures of like the, the guys who are running on the water, but they have like little things there. They're just putting a little yeah, bit, yeah. but Jesus, but you know, Jesus wasn't like running on it. He wasn't, didn't, wasn't practicing that. Like, hey, man, wow. I'm, well, I'm going to go run on the water every day. And maybe when it's my time, I'll walk on the water and the disciples will know that I'm the son of God. So again, that same yeah. idea that like advanced beyond all humanity. Well, so so with all this in mind, like everything we're talking about, when it comes to, you know, flirting with darkness, when it comes to the book, what are some of the big principles you're hoping people sort of walk away with without giving it all away? You know, what's sort of the key takeaway for people? Yeah, that depression can be beaten. And this isn't coming from somebody who's talking in theory land. Like I personally flesh this out. So I talk about how uh, prayer walks have healed me. I talk about the science of endorphins. I talk about scripture scholar scuba gear. There's over 3,500 promises in the Bible. If you don't just jet ski across the surface, but plumb the deeps, there's amazing, amazing hope to be found there. Uh, rewriting your story, how the Lord is the author of our faith, who has all our days written in his book. We talk about the magic number of greatness, the 10,000 hour rule, friend ventures with God and squad, owning your oddness. You know, we talk about Elroy, he's the God who sees, and uh, dreamality, God turns our reality into a dreamality. So we, we basically tackle 11 weapons that are practical handles for people to defeat the Dark Lord of Depression. And uh, we also talk about heaven in there. So I really go into the biggest, the biggest topics that create depression and then give practical handles for people to defeat it. I love that. Now, because the podcast is called Crazy Happy, we're looking to find happiness in unexpected places. You talked about that idea of being, you know, with our oddity, that we're all unique. Can you unpack that a little bit? Because, you know, in, in everything you said, there's there's great nuggets. And when I read the book, I was like, oh, you know, I'm underlining dog ear and everything, you know what I mean? And really enjoying it. But, but talk about that idea that, you know, that we're all unique, our own oddity. Talk about that a little bit. Well, so in the Old Testament, there's three left-handed individuals mentioned by name. And they all come from the tribe of Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So all the left-handers come from the right-handed tribe, which made them odd. And my point is, is that actually, if we're different, it's to make a difference. And if we don't fit in, it's because God created us to stand out. So if we own our oddness, we'll find our oddities are our commodities. So back to these left-handers. One of those left-handers was named Ehud. Now, he was able to sneak into the presence of Eglon, the wicked king of Moab, who was oppressing the Israelites for 18 years, and accomplish a military mission to assassinate the king. And then he went out and wiped out 10,000 lusty men of Moab in this war and freed Israel from Moabite oppression. Now, the question has always been like, how did Ehud sneak a dagger into the palace of the king? You know, when there was clearly palace guard there, there was clearly TSA security, as it were. 
Well, it's because back in the ancient world, what the palace guard would usually do is they would usually uh, frisk your left hip because if you're right-handed, you would usually draw your sword across your body from your left hip. Back then in that culture, to be left-handed, you were considered cursed. So the fact that Ehud had his sword on his right hip evidently implies and tacitly indicates that he was able to sneak past the palace guard because they kind of just frisk lightly, assassinate Eglon, because the very thing that others considered his curse was actually his military advantage. And that's what Nehemiah says, that the curse becomes a blessing. Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. Ehud found that his curse was actually advantageous to him militarily. And the same is true historically. Alfred Adler at the turn of the 20th century found that 70% of the art students he studied had optical anomalies. And the greatest composers like Mozart and Beethoven had ear degeneration. And he found that when you have problems with your eyes, you create better art because you have to practice compensatory abilities and actually pour more focus into the area of your weakness so that you hone it into a strength. The same is true with music. If you have ear problems, you have to listen extra carefully. And therefore, because of overcompensation, that can become the area of your strength. So the same is true biblically. And I think that if we own our oddness, we'll realize that where we're weak, then he's strong. Our oddities are our commodities, and he can reverse the curse and turn it into a blessing. So if you're like, why did God make me this way? Maybe it's because he's trying to get you to your destiny. You're different to make a difference. You don't fit in. You stand out. It's crazy, though, because people will beat you down for your oddities, right? So so often it's the thing that people go after, they seize on, they try to kind of attack you on, or and then you become self-conscious about it. And sometimes I think people avoid those elements of them of themselves maybe right and and so what you're saying is very much the opposite of that which i think is i think is really great advice actually and and advice people need to hear well absolutely and and like you know you think we live in a culture of conformity but everyone's conforming to somebody's uh innovation in the beginning anyway like like so like our culture loves following something but the thing that they're following that person was was the first one in that space like i'll just talk about this the other day coming from my my home state of new jersey you know uh in the 80s you know uh 80s was the was like one of the hubs with la of good old-fashioned hair metal you know what i mean like bon jovi skid row they all came out and i remember on my homecoming night 1990 on 120 minutes at midnight they dropped the uh the the video for nirvana smells like teen spirit Yes. You know, and it was like, I, I was there like watching this, I'm a freshman in high school and I'm just like, what is this? Like the, the, mat, the makeup and the big hair, like the Vidal Sassoon high hair. Like, no, these guys had flat hair. They look like they hadn't washed in a while. They're playing three chords, no shredding guitar solo. But literally within a year after that, it's like all these bands who once were doing one thing, now they're just trying to emulate right. the next thing. But really the only people people talk about now is Nirvana because they were the first one through with their oddity being uniquely who God made them to be. And, and now all of a sudden they're changing this, the game. And you're saying that as we follow Jesus, each one of us has been given uniquenesses and what you're calling, you know, our oddities and that God actually wants to leverage those in the purposes that he has for everybody. Right. Well, Fusco, what's fascinating about that is, I just I read a, maybe a year and a half ago this thick book about Kurt Cobain called Heavier Than Heaven, and Kurt Cobain who who brought he brought an end to hair metal as it were, and that's why he didn't get along with Axl Rose at all. Like they they like the Guns N' Roses lead singer, they did not get along, and he was able to like take it from the rap era to to something totally new, like the Pacific Northwest indie rock, uh, cardigans, slumped shoulders, power core. It was it was insane. 
but but what's interesting about Kurt Cobain is he struggled with deep, deep depression. And that like, he was heavily depressed. And out of that depression emerged something so creative. And, and, and that's true not just in the art world, but it's true in our lives too. Daniel, I think you hit it on the head that the very things that seem to create mental illness in us or this feeling of uh, feeling ostracized or separation anxiety, this, this sort of grief out of that fire of tribulation comes a creative fire that can actually be an asset. And every successful person, they learn to reframe pain. And that's one of the biggest things. We're all going to go through adversity. The question is, how are we going to, how are we going to um, view it? What's our POV? POV, pardon me, our point of view. Like, how are we going to look at it? And if we can reframe that pain, suddenly we can see what the enemy intended for evil. There's a redemptive quality in God, meaning it for good, if we'll abide to see and ears to hear. Well, this is so good. And I know like we could sit here, the three of us, and we're going to have to do this again because we could talk, yes, we do this for, for days and days. But Ben, if people want to find you online and we want to get people connected to you, to what you're doing, if they want to find the book Flirting with Darkness, and you also had your, your previous book, Optimisfits, which is also a great, great book. Where can people, if they're looking for Ben Corson, where can they find you? Yeah, so just bet my website, bencorson.com, or you can type in Hope Generation on any social media platform and find us there, except for TikTok. We're not on TikTok, but it might be It's too much out. effort. It's TikTok is too much effort. I'm I'm with you. I can't. Are you on TikTok, yet. Billy? I mean, I'm kind of there. I've got a couple videos. I just gave up. I couldn't, I could, yeah, I just couldn't continue. There's a video of me like wiping groceries down during coronavirus. I mean, it's like that kind of, it's terrible footage, like wiping well, it down and sanitizing. I can't dance. So I just, I, I, me I either. Dance. I can't do it. Me either. No, it's a, my, mine is a disaster. So nobody go and look. I've got like five videos. They're all horrible, horribly boring. <laughs> well, and Guys, then real quick, before we go though, like you just took over as the senior pastor of an amazing church. Tell people about that real, real briefly. I know we don't have a ton of time left, but, but tell people about that. Honestly, we have an amazing team. We have a, my dad's pastor emeritus. While I'm on the road, he teaches on Sundays. We have an amazing through the Bible teacher, Alex Heater. We're trying to bring back this era of the Renaissance when Michelangelo, Raphael, uh, some of the greatest painters of all time were actually employed by the church. So through videography, through music, through new styles of teaching, we're trying to create this whole new zeitgeist. And it's been, a, it's been, I'm, a, I'm very, very thankful for the team that I'm a part of because if it weren't for them, like we, we wouldn't be able to do it. But, but I'm, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity. So good. And, that, and that's Applegate Christian Fellowship in that's what? Right. Rouge, Oregon, right? Rouge, Oregon. Rouge, Oregon. So, and you guys, I just want to say, are really crushing it. I know we're, we, we, we see each other at random times, Billy for book stuff, Fusco for speaking stuff. It's just, it's so fun to see God cross our paths. And you guys are both world impactors, world changers. And I'm so thankful for our brotherhood. And it's, it's going to be fun to see how we keep doing stuff in the future. I agree. I know. I, I, I mean, obviously Fusco's stuck with me now doing this, but I mean, I, lo I love getting to talk with you and hang out and just, we, we have such good conversations. So I appreciate you doing this today. Well, as we bring our podcast on to a close, everyone listen, go make sure you connect with Ben, make sure you get his book, Flirting With Darkness. Go check out Billy's book as well. There's so, like, listen, there's lots of stuff going on. And so crazy happy. My book's going to be coming out in, in the new year. We're excited for that as well. Um, a couple of things that Ben said that I really want to make sure that everyone kind of grabs hold of. 
So, so first is the fact that God has made you unique and God wants to use the uniquenesses. So, so don't try and uh, shy away from those. You want to lean into those because it gives you an opportunity that God wants you to have in order to be a part of what he's doing. Second, Ben made a strong point that when you're going through things, it's going to be a fight and there's going to be blood, you know, yeah. and, and that's okay. It's not weakness yes. that you're going through a battle because you might be weak, but in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And so, but he does invite us to simply respond to Jesus and to, and to really get on the battle. And in a lot of ways, when we talk about crazy happiness, you can see it in Ben's if you when you know him and you listen to him as he's talking you know his crazy happiness was actually birthed in the cauldron of all these traumas like you know losing a sister losing a brother you know a, you know our relationship issues his own mental health issues it's like his joy is infectious because it was actually birthed in the crucible of pain and so your pain is purposeful and so listen thank you so much for joining me on Crazy Happy with Daniel Fusco, the podcast. On behalf of my buddy Ben Corson, of course, Billy Hallowell, we love you guys. God bless you. We'll see you next time.